Chapter 7 of The Whispering Eye by G.T. Fleming Roberts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Trail of the Beam If Jack Carlson was as innocent as he pretended to be, it was curious that he should stop just outside the gate of the Weedham home, reach into the bed of dwarf evergreens from which he took a long copper cylinder which closely resembled a flashlight. From his hiding place in the shadows, Kipper Land saw this move on the part of Carlson. Then he saw Carlson get into his car and drive away. Berland hailed a passing cab, ordered the driver to keep Carlson's car in sight. Carlson drove down into the lower east side of town, parked his car in a narrow street, and got out. Kip ordered his cab to pass Carlson's car. Looking back through the rear window, he saw Carlson turn up a narrow walk between two tenement buildings. "'Stop here,' Kip ordered the cab driver, and as the taxi braked, he got out, threw a bill to the driver, and ran up the street toward the place where Carlson had disappeared. In the dusky shadows between the two tenements, Berland watched Carlson put something into a wooden milk box attached just outside what was apparently someone's kitchen door. Then Kip had to duck back into a darkened doorway as Carlson retraced his steps and got back into his car. Kip had to make a choice quickly. Either he continued to follow Carlson, or he investigated the milk box which Carlson had mysteriously visited. Inasmuch as there was no taxi in sight, Kip decided on the latter course. As soon as Carlson was out of sight, he left the doorway, went up the walk between the two buildings, opened the box. Inside the box he found the copper cylinder which he had seen Carlson take from its hiding place outside the Weedham home. The thing resembled a flashlight more closely than ever on close inspection. It was a little longer than the usual three-cell case, and there was a finely ground lens at the end. Around the outside of the case was a piece of paper held in place by a rubber band. Kip removed the rubber band, unrolled the paper, studied it in matchlight. On the paper was penciled the name Delancey, followed by the words, Second floor, rear, at the end of fire escape, 68A, 7th Avenue. At the bottom of the paper was that crude drawing, the sign of the eye. Kip's pulse quickened. Could it be that Carlson was the eye? Certainly here was a message which Carlson had delivered, and which carried the eye's signature. And the flashlight device. Kip understood its construction and purpose immediately. Inside the case was some sort of a trigger mechanism operated by a button on the outside. The trigger operated a narrow strip of film, perhaps eight millimeter film, on which were photographed the messages which the eye intended to send. This film would be placed between the light globe and the lens so that the photographed message could be projected on any wall from a long distance. This was the device which had been used tonight at the Weedham home. Someone on the outside, probably the lady with the green eyes, Vida Gervais, had employed the light beam projected message. That warning which seemed to have been intended for Carlson was probably no warning at all. Perhaps the police had been keeping a rather sharp eye on Carlson, and Carlson had decided to put himself in the clear by faking that little scene at the Weedhams and pretending that the eye intended to kill Carlson. And that would be suicide. I'd be willing to bet my last dollar, Kip muttered grimly. He placed the light signal device in the milk box together with the note which was attached to the copper case. He would await further developments. 
Carlson was the eye. He was certain. It was now the job of the Black Hood to catch Carlson, red-handed. He left the narrow corridor between buildings to take up a post on the other side of the street. He did not have to wait very long until a man in the garb of a telegraph messenger came up the street. The messenger looked both ways and finally turned up that sidewalk between the two tenements. Even from where he stood, Kip Berland could hear the rattle of the milk-box top. A moment later, the messenger appeared. He was carrying that self-same copper-cased flashlight device. It was a tangled trail that Kipperland followed that night, shadowing that man who wore a telegraph messenger's costume. From half a block behind the man, Kip watched the messenger walk alongside of the bleak walls of Tombs Prison. He saw the narrow ray of that signal beam reach out and up to one of the narrow barred windows. The eye was signaling to someone who was even now in the hands of the police. The further he delved into the mystery of the whispering criminal known as the Eye, the more intriguing it became. Who but a perverted genius could have planned so completely, so thoroughly, that not even prison walls offered any sort of barrier? It was when the messenger crossed over to 7th Avenue that Kip Berland decided that this time he would be on the receiving end of that message that traveled the light beam. He knew where the messenger was heading. That paper banded to the flashlight device had carried a 7th Avenue address. Someone else was to receive one of the eye's little missives. A man by the name of Delancey, judging from the writing on the notepaper. The name struck a responsive chord in Kipperland's memory. It recalled Ray Delancey, one of the most dangerous rob-and-kill men in the business. Delancey would be the sort of person valuable to the eye. In a murky alley off 7th Avenue, Kipperland paused for a few precious moments. Quickly, he shed his outer garments, revealing beneath the yellow silk tights, the wide belt, and the black athletic shorts that identified the black hood. From the interlining in the back of his suit coat, he took a flat-folded package composed of his gauntlet gloves, his black silk cape, and that combination mask and hood that completed the costume. Shortly, Kipperland had vanished, completely overshadowed by his famous alias, the Black Hood. The eye's messenger had been moving at a leisurely pace. In spite of the delay his costume change had necessitated, Black Hood easily outstripped the messenger, reached the 7th Avenue address which had been noted on that slip of paper attached to the signal device. This proved to be an ancient red-brick lodging house which would have made an excellent hideout for a criminal. There was a fire escape on the side of the building. Black Hood raised his eyes to the second story, marked the window which was nearest the fire escape at this point. This was the window mentioned in the eye's instructions. Just across the alley from this point, Black Hood spied a wood telephone pole. He grinned. Nothing could be sweeter. He crossed to the pole, leaped for the lowest climbing spike, driven into the wood about eight feet from the ground, and drew himself upwards. At the second climbing spike, he stopped. From this position, he would be able to see the upper part of the wall of the second-floor room of the building across the alley, and also the ceiling. He pulled his black cape around him and waited. It wasn't long before he heard the footsteps of the messenger crunching along the alley. The man came to a stop within a few feet of the very post to which Black Hood was clinging. 
he pointed the copper-cased flashlight device upward toward the dark window which Black Hood was watching. The white ray stabbed out through the darkness, and Black Hood could clearly see the brand of the eye projected on the ceiling of the room across the alley. The light beam lingered for a moment, then went out. The shadowy figure of a man appeared at the window. A cigarette glowed in his lips. A signal? Black Hood wondered. And then the figure in the window withdrew, and the light beam again shot up from below. This time the words of the eye's message were clearly projected onto the ceiling of the crimester's hideout. Black Hood read, Delancey, come to headquarters at once. And then the beam of light went out. Black Hood altered his position slightly so that he clung to the pole with one hand, his body poised for a leap. The faint rustle of the Black Hood's cape caused the messenger on the ground to look up. Black Hood knew that he had to act fast. That signaling device which the messenger carried was an important piece of evidence. Jack Carlson's fingerprints would be on the case. That, together with the photofilm which carried the eye's message and was enclosed in the trigger mechanism of the novel projector, constituted evidence that would prove that Jack Carlson was the eye. Black Hood sprang out from the pole, swooped down upon the messenger like a huge black bat. The man turned to flee too late. The Black Hood caught him by the coattails, dragged him back. The messenger turned, grappled with Black Hood. Then followed one of those grim, silent struggles, too deadly serious for oaths and threats. Rat this pawn of the eye may have been, but even a cornered rat will fight with the courage of a lion. Time after time the man tried to bash Black Hood's skull with the copper-cased signal device. Tried once too often, for Black Hood's gauntlet-covered fingers closed like steel hooks upon the device, a twist, a sudden jerk, and it was Black Hood who had the signal device now. The copper cylinder gone, the messenger's courage seemed to have gone with it. He turned, fled like a frightened rabbit up the alley and into the avenue. Again, Black Hood was faced with one of two choices. He might follow the messenger, might catch him, turn him over to the cops. But in all probability, the messenger knew less about the identity of the eye than Black Hood knew. He was merely a tool in the hands of a master criminal, and Black Hood was after that master criminal. The second choice, and the one which he decided to take, was to follow Delancey, who had been given orders from the eye to appear at the headquarters of the mob immediately. And inasmuch as Black Hood had not the slightest idea where the eye had his headquarters, this was the wisest course to pursue. His heart beat high with hope as he waited in the alley for Delancey to make his appearance. He felt that he was nearing the end of the case, approaching the time when the eye that menaced to the peace and safety of all New York could be placed behind prison bars. And when he had proved that Jack Carlson was the eye, Black Hood would clear himself of the charge of murder. End of Chapter 7